doing in the conservatory. I thank you for every soul that is here today. I thank you, Father, that our ears are open, that our hearts are prepared to unlearn, to relearn, and to find confirmation and affirmation. I pray, Father, that we are able to hear the heart of what you're going to share with us. Lord, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for all the work that is taking place on the inside of me, on the inside of us. What a blessing and a privilege it is to be able to hear God. What a blessing and a privilege it is to be able to be led of God. And Lord, I thank you that we are people that will not take this for granted. I thank you that we are people who will recognize with everything in us how important it is to know who you are and what your intention is and how all of these things pull together for our good. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. So I want to just, again, thank you all for being a part of the Scribal Conservatory Bible study tonight. And there are some things I'm going to read that that the Lord just gave me like minutes before I got down here. I didn't even know what I was going to teach tonight, but the Lord just wanted to remind me of these things and I'm going to share them with you and feel free to engage in the chat. And again, I want to say welcome everyone. Good to see some of you. I've missed some of you. Um, and so it's good to see you be able to join us this evening this evening. Um, well, I, I'm going to just ask a question real quick. And I want you to just jot down in the chat. I'm not going to move forward until I get at least four or five responses. I want to hear your thoughts on this. And I, I want to know to you, what the, what does, how does God define sin? I just want you to think about that for a minute, not a definition. I'm not looking for a definition, but what is sin to God as you see it? There are no wrong answers here. There are, you know, I want us, I want us to really take a look at that. How does God define sin? Someone said abomination. So can you go a little further? What do you mean by abomination? Is that how God sees sin? Is that what he is looking at? So I want you, and that's a good answer. I'm just saying, I want a little more. What is sin to God? Just jump in. I think this is a very important question. And I want us to consider um, how we are jumping in and how we are understanding that. So one person said, yes, it's an abomination. So yes, that's, that's, a, that's a good response. Anything that we do or say that is against the will of God, absolutely, absolutely, that is that is correct. Disobedience, absolutely, absolutely. And so I, I need a couple, unbelief, yes, 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 unbelief, um, Hebrews 3 and 12, that's true. Any other responses? All of these are correct, All, absolutely, worry, all of these things are correct. When we do not believe him and his word, absolutely, that is a sin. Um, I feel like, let's see, someone said, I feel like 
sin is anything that goes against God's original purpose. So it's absolutely, that's one way of, of, of looking at it. Behaving contrary to the word of God, such as doubt. I love that. And so these are some good explanations of what it is. And I agree with all of them, every single one of them. Sin is anything that causes us to miss the mark. Absolutely. And actually the translation of the word that gives us the word sin in our English language is missing the mark. And it means it's missing the mark set for us, is missing the intention that has been set for us before the Lord. But I want you to just consider for a moment what I'm about to share with you right now, because I believe that God sees sin as, as he sees sin from the perspective of anything in our lives that causes us to perish, that causes us to fall away from him, that causes us to come outside of the body that he has called us into. Anything that present, prevents us from existing as one with him. So this is very important to me that we kind of see this. Anything that can interrupt his oneness, anything that can block his ability to commune with us in the fullness of his design. So I, I hope that that, that kind of falls in line because what you're what you shared with me are all things that will cause us to fall away from God that will cause us to separate from who we're supposed to be on the inside of them him someone else said something moving us away from his potential for us or through us so all of these things are true all of these things are true but when we're looking at what sin is, when we're looking at it, sometimes our responses lets us know what our doctrine has been, how, um, how strong that doctrine has been in our lives. And I want to challenge you real quick, whatever doctrine we formulated and however we see sin, you can see through our first responses through the things we say, the type of mindset that could be resting on the inside of us. Listen, then this is the important part, not only toward God, but toward one another. Not only toward God, but toward one another. And let me give you an example. So if we see him as missing the mark, that has a connotation to it. It has a mercy attached to it. If we see it um, from um, behaving contrary to the word of God, such as doubt, we see it from the perspective of being able to correct it, of being able to um, um, heal it, from being able to make a comeback. We can see a call in that. If we see it from the perspective of anything that goes against its original purpose, and this is not to um, cause us to call out anyone, but we can see the legality of it. We can see the strictness of it. We can see the mindsets that can come with these things. If we see it from the perspective of, of worry, we can say, okay, we're dealing with the issue of trust. We're dealing with the issue of being able to release 
to the things to God, if we see it from the perspective of belief, then we have to go back to the, the foundation that talks about we need the mind of Christ. We need to believe God. So your initial response reveals some things about where you are in your understanding of sin. One of the words we got, one of the strongest words was abomination. And so when you look at that word abomination, when we think of sin, we're thinking of sin and death. We're thinking of law. We're thinking of rules and regulations. We're thinking, so I hope that you're shifting even while I'm sharing this and giving you um, a perspective on how we see sin can, can sometimes determine how we process what it is that God desires for us. So before I move forward on that part, I want to see if you all are, are following with me, if you're able to walk with me through that understanding before we move forward. Oh my goodness, because this is huge. This is huge. If you can get this, you're going to understand some different levels of healing tonight because healing is, is, is bigger than just sickness, is bigger than just disease, is bigger than just behavior. It's root systems of the mind. It's root systems of the mind. As a man thinketh, so is he. So if we believe God is the God of wrath, then we're going to see sin from the perspective of wrath. If we believe God is a healer, we're going to see God from the perspective of mercy and from the perspective of grace. If we see uh, um, the Lord from as a merciful God, we're gonna see sin through the eyes of love and I hope this is helping. I just want to kind of get us into a place because if we're going to talk about healing, we have to understand it, not from the perspective of religion, not from the perspective of a doctrine we have held on to all of our lives and that we're just struggling to break free of. We've got to look at it from a perspective of I was in this place and healing made room for me. If healing could make room for me where I was, then healing can make room for someone else. Listen, the Lord said this to me. He said, when we are offended, when our heart is broken, when we are hurt by people, he said to me, one of the most amazing ways, Teresa, that you can begin to heal from that kind of hurt, particularly, especially when your intention is misunderstood. Now, this is my story. I'm not talking about anything because sometimes I cause the situations that I find myself in. It's not the devil. It's not anything other than a bunch of things that just happened and it caused a mess and now it's just a mess. You know, 
So sometimes we have to get into a place where the Lord will say to you, he said, as, as much as you are, are hurting right now, I'm not, I'm just giving you an example. I'm not going through anything that that's causing that kind of conflict at this time. I'm just giving you an example. But as we are going through our healing and as we are going through our brokenness, one of the things the Lord is always challenging me to do is to understand this truth. The same forgiveness, the same healing, the same grace, the same mercy that I have extended to, to you, Teresa, in your place of being done wrong, in your place of having your feelings hurt, in your place of wherever you are, guess what? It is the same for the person who you believe has done you wrong. I just want to let that rest right there. God doesn't have favoritism toward me because I'm hurt and a different favoritism for the person that hurt me. Just, just, just think on that for a minute. That's a hard thing to hear when you feel like you've been done wrong. But that is what it is in the new covenant. We don't have eye for eye anymore. That was old covenant. New covenant have, I will pray for the person who has hurt me. Not praying my will, but praying, bless them, Lord. Because that's the side of mercy. And that is the side that God is on in the new covenant. I, I want to show you something. And I needed to set that place because if we don't have this place of understanding, when we start talking about brokenness, it's easy for brokenness to then shift to the devil in people, the unrighteousness in people. It's easy to start marking them up as having 50 different spirits. It's easy. So we, we, we want to be able to have compassion for the strongholds even that other people have. I hope that you are able to take these steps with me. I'm off the cuff tonight. I don't have many notes. I just have my little cell phone and uh, just a few, few little sentences. I mean, like seven sentences here. And I want to read this to you. I'm going to read it directly from what I wrote. God sees sin as perishing. Oh my goodness. Wasting away. He sees it as a slow death. Oh my goodness. Oh, I need you to just see that in your heart for a moment. Oh my goodness. I want you to just experience that truth for a minute. Oh my God. He sees it as a slow burn. A slow burn. Can you identify? When you are perishing, you're wasting away. Wow. Gonna hold there for a moment, moment because I want you to really grab that in your um in your hearing, in your nefesh, in your inner being. 
He sees it as a perishing or a falling away from him. He sees it as a breaking of covenant. Now, I want to just share on those a little bit because when we're perishing, perishing to God is getting farther and farther and farther away from his intention for you. That's the mind of God. That's how God's mind operates. Can you see it? His mind isn't operating like us, like, oh, wretched am I. He's not thinking like that. He's not on the old wretched am I or how horrible I am. God is not on that side of the coin. Oh, God. He's on the side that says their, their language, their mind, their thoughts, the things that they meditate on are getting further and further away from me. Oh, we're not close anymore. We don't, we understand that in friendships. Have you ever had a friendship where y'all was tight? And I mean, you thought y'all were thicker than thieves. You believe nothing could break that bond of friendship. And then one day you don't talk at all. This is how perishing looks to God because for God, he understands that if they're not connected with me, then they're perishing. They're lost. They have no connection to the source. They're entering the realm of death and I can't save them if they are not trying to hang on to me. Oh my goodness. God sees sin as perishing, as falling away, as breaking covenant, breaking marriage. He sees it as divorce. He sees it as divorce. But when we see sin, our entire perspective based on how we have been raised in Christ is completely different. We see evil people. We see devils everywhere. We're not seeing it as a lost soul. We're not, because God's compassion is for the lost. It's for those that cannot connect. Jesus wept and he went to the cross because people could not perceive the salvation that was before them. They couldn't connect to it. They couldn't connect to it because of their own will, their own desire, their own death, their own will. it, It was just too great. And it exalted itself above the love of God. Oh my God. See, we wonder where compassion comes from. We wonder where the love of God comes from. We wonder where the hope and why the three things remain, faith, hope, and love. We wonder about those things, but I'm here to tell you that is not of the human mind and is not of the human understanding that we know the presence and the love of God is not coming from that place. It's not coming from that place. It's coming from marriage. 
is coming from a covenant so deep that God refuses to go against his word. Oh my goodness, whatever you've been taught about sin will have a hold on how much of what I'm sharing with you right now you're able to intake. But I I hope that you're hearing me. And as we move forward and really talking about the hurt and talking about how to heal and talking about how to break through, I hope that this can be a way that you can see through your own eyes, God really is for me because he's looking at the sin in my life from the perspective of me perishing. He knows that as long as I'm holding on to this sinful thing, I cannot hold on to him. He's not so much focused on the act. He's not so much focused on all the little nuances of this and that. He's looking at the fact that those things are separating me from his goodness. Oh, God. And I can now look at the word and I can say, when I look at all of the lists of sins and the things that we find in the old covenant that separated them, I can look and see what Christ actually accomplished. I can actually see that he put all of those sins in the cup so that Jesus would have to bear them because they were too much for us to correct and that his blood had to be shed so that we would be drenched in it and he would be resurrected to give us a better way. Your word has made me clean. That's what the scripture says. If someone can find that passage, I want you to find it and post it. It says his word has made us clean. So it puts us in a place where we can better understand what it means to be washed in the blood. It means... Oh my God, it means that love covers a multitude of sins. It means that as long as you are reaching, as long as you are fighting to live, as long as you are determined not to perish, as long as you are stretching your hand to the hem of his garment, as long as you are quick to repent, as long as, as long as, Copy the passage for me, please. As long as you are being covered in the blood. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. God sees sin as perishing, a falling away from him, a breaking of covenant. He sees it as a separation from his goodness. He sees it more to him as an, he sees it as more than just an evil act that you've done before him. He sees it as you cutting the umbilical cords. He sees it as you separating the threefold cord that he has given us to bring us together. He see you cutting him out of your life. That's how God sees sin. God is like, I, I don't know how the people that I love so much don't want me. It's a battle of the heart. But he knows the answer to that. I'm just giving you an example. 
when our lusts are for other things, we turn away from God. It's, it's that simple. And we give entrance to darkness. Oh my goodness. It is evidence of a lack of knowledge of him. It is evidence that we don't know him. If there is rampant sin in your life, that means one thing. You don't know God like you think you do in that area because you can't trust him to hear you, heal you. That's a different way of thinking about it. If I'm holding on to my pain, that's because I don't believe God is able to heal me of it. And I don't trust God enough to hurt enough before him and to let it all out and to turn it loose enough so I can be free and I can trust him with my breakthrough. Man, I know some hurt is insurmountable. I know some of us like, but you don't know what I've been through. I've lost children. You don't know what I've been through. I, I, I lost my husband a few months ago. You don't know what I've been through. I've lost my mama last month and two weeks later, grandma passed away. You don't know how bad this hurts. But listen, God does. He does. But your grief cannot be the scissors, the razor blade, the ax that cuts off the closeness and the relationship that he wants because we have to make room to trust him. Oh my goodness. Sin is evidence of separation from his goodness. It is evidence that your brokenness is more than an evil act to him. But see, in religion, it's an evil act. You're dirty, you're unclean, you're filthy. There's no redemption for you. God has rejected you. Law is always present in some mindsets concerning how we see sin. But Christ flipped that for us and he flipped it in the place of compassion, not lawlessness, not denouncing sin, not saying it doesn't matter, but Christ cried and he wept and he went to the cross to pay the ultimate price that there would be compassion for us in our most wretched places. I met girls when I was um, working in sex trafficking that averaged 50 to 60 tricks a day. Now imagine that all you do is lay in bed as one man after another climbs up and enters your body. And this is going on for weeks and for years. If we continue to see sin from the perspective of religious systems, it will be almost impossible for people enduring that kind of pain to heal. Oh my God. I'm hoping somebody is hearing me tonight. Because God wants to heal us. Some of us may not have been turning tricks. 
but they have had trauma in their lives that have cut at the very core of their identity. Oh my God. Understanding, Lord. Understanding, Lord. I am very watchful of condemnation-laced prophets, of condemnation-laced apostles, because those are foundational gifts, right? I had good teaching. Listen, I learned about healing in a community that understood the compassion of Christ. It makes a difference. I've never had anyone have to reteach me healing after sitting under that ministry for that many years. I learned the inner workings of the spirit and I learned how to heal without all of those demon lists and without a, listen, God is able when we can flip how we see sin. Sin is as much a sickness and as much a mental state and a mental capacity as everyday stomach flu as everyday mental illness in many situations. I, I, I don't know how to tell you because the Bible sees sin as perishing. Don't confuse it. Don't let religion mess you up and say, I'm saying there are no spirits. Yes, they are. I've had some cast out of me. over the course of my life. I've been bound in ways I don't even talk about unless the Lord gives me an opportunity in the midst of a testimony to share. So instead of pointing fingers, we have to we have to extend our hand. Oh my God. Let me keep going. God sees sin as evidence of a lack of knowledge of him he sees sin as a as disrespect a lack of honor and reverence for who he is and when we get to the level of disrespect and lack of honor we're talking about willful sinning people who choose it that's a different kind of evil there are different levels of sin I don't want you to go and do research on this. I'm just making a point. When you choose to do dirt, that's different. When you know that there is a better way, when you taste it and you've seen that God is good and then you decide you want to do your dirt anyway, that's a different and a dangerous place. Completely different. I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures in a moment. And I mean, I'm not going to go through the specific scripture that talks about the, the different kinds of sin. We'll do that another time because I want to, there's a point I'm making tonight that I want you to grasp. So sin to God falls into righteousness and unrighteousness. Wait, let me go back. It is evident sin to God is an evidence of a lack of knowledge of him, a lack of honor. It's disrespect to him. It's a lack of the fear of the Lord. You have no fear in you. When we, when we go down that road, it's a lack of, um, it's a direct rejection. Listen to this. 
It's a direct rejection of the extended covenant. It's a rejection of marriage. We know the parables. So when you read the parables again, you'll be able to see this clearly. It's a direct rejection of holiness and righteousness, which is the very person of God. It's a rejection of him. Sin to God falls into righteousness and unrighteousness. It falls into sacred and sinful. It falls into goodness and evil. It, it falls into goodness versus the wickedness of man. It is what broke covenant. Covenant is broken by sin, but not the way we think of it, the way God sees it. God sees it as, as you're hacking away at my threefold cord. You're hacking away at my umbilical cord. You're hacking away at all of the things that I have put in place to draw you near. Oh my goodness. It's what broke us. It's what broke us. And, and this is the thing. People separate the word reconciliation from healing, but that's what the word healing is. Healing to God is reconciliation, is reconciling to who he is and his intention. That's healing. Can you grasp that? That is healing. Healing is not just you feeling better because you had a headache today. That's, that's human healing. That's, that's a part of it. But that's not, the, that's not the, the supernatural. That's not the, oh, oh my God. That's just a part of it and a small part. When I look at the miracles in the Bible, when I look at the signs and wonders, people were healed unto belief. They were healed unto faith. They were healed unto restoration. They were not just healed and sent on their way. That's why I don't do a lot of this stuff in public because you have to have a heart to build people. You have to want to see them and work them and, and, and make sure they're located and in a place where they can continue their healing because after the body is healed, can the reconciliating power of faith be restored so that they can stay connected to the threefold core? Yeah, I want you healed. Yes, I want your body healed. But in the midst of your suffering, can you stay connected? God, let him hear God. Let him hear your heart. Let them hear God. We do a lot of workshops on healing from sexual abuse, healing from domestic violence, hearing, healing from grief. And, but Lord, we forgot what connects us. 
as long as we are taught and we can understand that the intention of healing is to reconcile our broken hearts to you, we have a better roadmap and we can learn how to cling to you more until we wait for the process to be fulfilled. Oh my God. Reconciliation is about healing us unto righteousness, unto holiness, unto the eradication of sin, unto the fullness of the mind of Christ, unto understanding who we are as kings and priests, unto our identity in Christ, not just unto that problem going away. Oh my God, be it unto me. That's what she said in the midst of all of the persecution, amidst of all of the accusation. She said, just be it unto me. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. There is such revelation in this. And it gives us the power to endure the hard places of our lives. I want to read something to you from Isaiah 57. There's a hundred passages or more I could have picked. But this is the one that came to me. And I believe God is setting the tone for our in-person meeting on Sunday. We're still having our virtual service for those who can make it. But for those in Atlanta, we're going to be gathering in a safe environment on Sunday afternoon. So you'll be getting information about that um, tomorrow. And I expect the leaders in the ministry to make room if they can. I understand if you can't, but if you can, if you can, be there. Oh. Isaiah 57, don't know what version this is. Let's let's flip it a little bit. Um, let's go to, let's see, I'm just gonna go. I'm, I'm gonna use the Amplified here only because they put a lot of definition to it. That's the only reason. It's not really my favorite version of the Bible, but here we go. Um, it says, the righteous man perishes at the hand of evil and no one takes it to heart. And I want to say this because we are in a time where a lot of the of, of us are suffering. A lot of things are happening. The church is being ridiculed. Um, people laughing at, at leaders. They're, they're like, look at them Christians. I mean, my God. And you can't blame them in some circumstances because there's a lot of foolery taking place in the actual circus. And it makes all of us good look bad. It doesn't matter what denomination you are. It does, not, when the, not when the world is watching. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't matter. But this passage, it says, the righteous man perishes at the hand of evil and no one takes it to heart. Faithful and devout men are taken away while no one understands. I think I'll go back to the NIV because that's not what I want. I want the actual meaning of those scriptures. And I can I can tell you, but um, we'll, we'll just do the New American Standard Bible. It's a literal, literal Bible. 
The righteous person perishes and no one takes it to heart. And devout people are taken away, away while no one understands. For the righteous per person is taken away from evil. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds. Still not clarifying, but I'm going to clarify this for you and, and tell you that this passage of scripture actually is talking about death. It's talking about a natural death. The righteous person perishes and no one takes it to heart and devout people die while no one understands. For the righteous person is taken away from evil and he enters into peace. They rest in their beds. Basically, this scripture is saying that even if you live a righteous life and you never see the justification that you thought you deserved, if you never receive the things that you believe God promised you, know that the Lord is saying that because your life is a spiritual life, you're going to enter peace and you're going to find rest. This is very important for the righteous. I've shared this a couple of times at funerals, but it's important that we know this because sometimes when we see people suffering, we automatically want to say, well, didn't you live right? What did, what did you do? What did you, and I always try to tell people your affliction does not disqualify you. Religion causes you to think that, but your affliction, whatever you are going through, does not disqualify you. And we have to know that. That's one of the most basic gospel principles that we have to put in place. Otherwise, people will always judge you based on whether or not your life has outward light shining where everything is perfect all the time and you're pretending. I believe that's why so many people don't like to share what they're going through in the congregation because people are so judgmental due to this circus gospel that has been preached to us for so long. And it, and it breaks my heart. Oh my God. Because the scripture tells us, so if somebody dies early and they were saved, you know, maybe they didn't eat right. So all the saints are saying, well, if you hadn't gained all that weight, they wouldn't have had a heart attack. I don't have, how dare you? How dare you? God still loved them. God still used those people and they are at peace and they are finding rest. But that's not why I'm doing this. I want you to um, keep, keep reading with me. But this is what he says. And he's speaking to um, the, the, the nation, the people of, of Israel. And he's saying, but here, but he, and he's talking to the people of Israel. Now, this is a message to the church. He's not talking about the unsaved. So I want you to, I want you to hear. Those who walk uprightly within the congregation will enter into peace. They find rest when they die. But you, come here, you children of a sorceress, you offspring of adulterers and prostitutes who are mocking and whom you sneer and stick out your tongue at. Are you not a brood of rebels and offspring of liars? 
You burn with lust among your oaks and even spreading and, and every spreading tree. That's a, that y'all need to dig that out. That's a mess right there. You sacrifice your children in the ravines and under the overhanging crabs. They were actually making child sacrifices. So please know that. Please know that. But I want to hear you. I want you to hear all of the abominations that were taking place because that's what we're hearing. We're hearing all the things that they were doing to cut off that threefold cord. You're hearing all of those things and you're hearing the desperation of God. You're hearing him say, I don't want you to cut yourself off because sometimes when we read this, we're reading it like, look at what God finna do to them. They should have did right. And that, that's how we normally read this passage. But if you understand God's intention, this is a plea. This is a plea. This is a plea. And most of the things God presented this way in the Bible were pleas. Because at the end of it, there was always a way of escape. But most of the time, because we like to see people punished, we like to see people suffer, we like to see people, oh, they got the cancer because they were so bitter and they were so evil. Even if that is true, God still loves them. And he always wants to extend an opportunity. I'm going to prove this. Keep walking with me. You burn with lust among the oaks and under every spreading tree. Go study that out. It's a sex scripture. You sacrifice your children in the ravines and under the overhanging crags. The idol among the smooth stones of the ravines are your portion. Indeed, they are your lot. In other words, you're inheriting all of these things in the spiritual realm because of your choice to walk away from me. Yes, to them, you have poured out drink offerings and offerings of grain. In view of all this, should I relent? You have made your bed on a high and lofty hill. Then you went up to offer your sacrifices behind your doorposts and your doors and your doorposts. You have put pagan symbols forsaking me. You uncovered your head. He goes on and on and on and on. But then he says, whom have you dreaded? I'm at verse 11 in fear. I want you to see this. Whom have you dreaded and feared that you have not been true to me? Oh my God. <laughs> God is heartbroken. Not angry. Can you see it before I go any further? I want you to see that. I need to see that you see this. He says this a lot. Go back and read your Bible. Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have not been true to me and have neither remembered me nor taken this to heart? Is it not because I have long been silent that you do not fear me? I have to expose your righteousness and your works and they will not benefit you. And when you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. See, this is when God was contending with men. In the old covenant, he was fighting with us, fighting against us, 
fighting the unrighteousness in his own house. He was, his house was in disorder. His house was in disarray. His people were disobedient. His children were wayward. They were, they were becoming whores in the kingdom, doing all manner of unrighteousness. Oh my God. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. But then he says, but whoever takes refuge in me will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. Oh my God. It's all through the old covenant. Oh my God. All God wants is his family restored. That's all he wants. So sin to him can't be from the mind of punishment. It has to be from the mind of covenant. The further away from God that we get, the more dangerous the world outside of his presence becomes. The closer to God we get, the more safe we are, even if we're at the point of death. I just, oh God, perishing to God is separating from him, not just the sin we are in. Oh, Ezekiel 16, we should all know this scripture is one of my favorites. One of my favorites. We're talking about healing. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel. Son of man, confront Jerusalem and her detestable practices. Listen to this detestable, horrible, horrific. And say, This is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and your birth was in the land of the Canaanites and your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into an open field for on the day you were born, you were despised. That's the story of many people. It's the story of many people, not just Jerusalem. But the Lord said, I passed by and I saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, unsaved, un, you know, lost, you didn't know you were looking for a God, didn't know I was it. You know, you, he was like, I just commanded you to live. I, I want you to see that because Christ came that we might have life and that we have it more abundantly. Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. God spoke to dry bones and now he's speaking to blood. And he's saying, live. 
I made you grow like a plant in the field. You grew and developed and you entered puberty. Your breasts had formed and your hair had grown and you were start naked. Later I passed by and when I looked at you and I saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and I entered into a covenant with you. In other words, I married you. I married you and you became mine. I bathed you with water. He baptized them and I washed you with blood and I put ointments on you. Oh my God. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and I put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen linen, and I covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloths. Your food was honey olive oil and the finest flower. You became very beautiful and rose up to be a queen and your fame spread across the nations on account of your beauty because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect. He blotted out every spot and wrinkle. The bride that Christ longs for. And then his heart was broken. Oh my God. He said, but you trusted in your beauty and you used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavish your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and you made gaudy high places where you carried out your prostitution. You went to him and he possessed your beauty. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry I made of gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. Listen, I could go on and on and on, but when you get to the end of this, it's the same thing. I am here. I want to heal you. I want you back. I want, the only reason why the Lord shares all this, listen, he calls the nations and he calls the people in it an adulterous wife. And he says, you prefer strangers to your own husband. God's heart is broken. See, sin to God is perishing. Oh my God, it's not just pointing out and going to get this devil and going to get that devil and beating them down on the head and switching them and letting people know who the business. I mean, my God, what are we doing? God's heart is broken for us and wide open to those who are in sin. Because he has hope of reconciliation. Why is this important? It's important because a lot of our brokenness is due to shame, is due to guilt, is due to all of the stuff that, you know, like here he said, you engaged in prostitution with the Egyptians, your neighbor with large genitals and aroused my anger with your increasing promiscuity. I mean, look at the language 
This isn't literal, uh, but I want you to know that the language was intentional because in the in, under the law, there was a lot of laws that govern purity from a physical perspective. And that, those physical things had specific connotations attached to them in the old covenant. So when you're seeing this, we see a lot of people read these scriptures and they're literally focused on sex. They're literally focused on who folks sleeping with. They're missing some of the most major points of the scripture. Not We're not supposed to be promiscuous in the natural or in the spirit. <laughs> so I want to make that clear, but I'm trying to just shift you for a moment. Because I want you to see that when we began to look at pride and there, there's all kinds of healings. Healings is just not your feelings being hurt. We need to understand that. Salvation is a type of healing. Yes, it is. Broken relationships is a type of healing. Rejection from the womb is a, is a place of healing that needs to take place. Abuse is a type of healing because it started with abuse. Somebody threw their baby out. They didn't want the baby. They let the baby fend for themselves. They didn't care what happened to the... So everything is here. Oh my God. Oh God. But the beauty is this. First, second Corinthians, I think five. For we know that in this earthly tent, we live. So for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. First truth to healing. You have to know that there is always habitation for you. First principle of healing. You must believe and have faith and be working toward understanding that there is habitation for you in this earthly house. Somebody could write that out just in the chat. First place, there's habitation for you. Meanwhile, we groan. Ah, God. Jesus, when your body is wracked with pain, we groan. Sometimes we suffer so much that we want to already go. That can be a place in the mind. That can be a place in the physical body. But we groan and we pray in intercession. Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. We'll not be tempted to sin. So sometimes it's easy to want to go home because if we go home, we're not going to be tempted to do things to hurt ourselves. Suicide. Drugs. Addiction. Fixing our feelings with men or men with women. I, I'm, just, I'm just giving you some insight. 
I, I want you to kind of see how all of this works together. For while we are in this tent, we groan and we are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Oh my God. Sometimes I have to call some of y'all and say, listen, where you're at, you need to be at the teachings. You need to be in a community. You cannot do this alone. We're in the new covenant, we're supposed to gather because that is where the strength is. That is where the fight is. That is where the teaching and the motivation is to keep you going. That is where you receive life. Or else you are swallowed up. Oh my God, it says now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given up the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident. Oh, principle number three. So number one, we have to realize that we have a habitation. Number two, we have to remain in our groaning place and understand that we are in these tents and these tents are gonna suffer, but we have to stay in this place so that we can work toward being unburdened so that we are not unclothed. Oh my God. Number three is our confidence. Our confidence is knowing that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. In other words, there's a time coming, but we need this confidence because we live by faith and not by sight. So even if it doesn't work out, even if it looks like all hell has broken through, somewhere, somehow, you got to believe. You got to believe that your goal is to just please God. And to God, that is enough. You have to believe it's enough. Whether we are at home in the body, meaning living right now in this flesh, or whether we are on our deathbed, whatever it is, we got to have confidence that God is with us. Oh my God, somebody write these three things down and share them in the text. I'm going to probably have to do a transcript because I'm teaching prophetically. I don't have any notes. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body. Oh my God. How was my faith while I was in the earth, God? Every day I want to believe you and I want to know you better. I want to trust that you're, I, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I know I've prayed. I've received prophetic words. I give all of that up and I'm just living for right now. I'm not holding on to yesterday. I'm holding on to my now. So that didn't happen. I can't hold you hostage to that. Oh my God. Mm. for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, meaning our physical, physical state, whether good or bad. 
verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Number five, we have to learn how to fear the Lord. We have to trust Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us to teach us what that fear looks like. Because what we are is plain to God and I hope it is plain to your conscience, your thinking, your understanding. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. I want you to just go back and look at Isaiah 57. Read through Ezekiel 16. Any scripture that you see people quoting, talking about people burning and dying and being punished, I want you to re-examine those scriptures from the life of God so that you can see that God is identifying all of those things. But at the end of it, there's at the end, the beginning, the middle, and we're looking at letters. We're looking at books. We're not looking at chapter books and things like that. These are one long document and you will find that God is like, why have you forgotten me? Why don't you fear me? Why are you choosing other lovers? This is, this is, this is God. Oh my God. This is, this is God. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. All means all, every living human being on earth. I started this conversation tonight with you by saying, as bad as you may be hurting right now, as horrible as things may have turned out in whatever situation you have been in, the road to forgiveness for me has always been that question God put before me. Teresa, as bad as you hurt, I love the person that you believe hurt you just as much as I love you. That's a humbling statement. Even in all their crookedness, even in all their abuse and molestation, even in all of the violence, even it's still true. <laughs> It is still true. Only maturity can take that statement and convert it into compassion and work to understand it to a point of healing. Oh my God, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, as believers, we have to do everything we can to look at our saved brothers and sisters from the perspective of Christ. That's why I always tell you all, 
Don't just judge the church for the circus acts that they are in. The circus, that the things that we are learning are for our benefit so that we don't return to pits of vomit and pits of religion that we have came out of. They are not for us to go and point out, look at that circus. Look at that circus. Sometimes I'll send people different memes and different things as we're talking and sharing. It's not to pick, it's to identify the conversations that we need to have so that we can stay strong. We were talking last time at Bible study and um, someone broke up, brought up this person who has a strong misogynistic stronghold. And I was doing everything I could to shift us into a place of seeing that a person can only be that way if something is broken, severely broken. And though it is evil and though it is wicked, God still loves that person. It's all wounding. It's all brokenness. It's all severance from the source. It's all about perishing. And people that rooted in things like that are perishing unaware. Can you see it? Can you see it? And you see it because that's where the compassion of Christ comes in. Last passage. Last part. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Oh my God. He died for all. How then, Lord, can I awaken people to the truth that they have been saved from perishing? And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And what is that ministry? And I taught it to you tonight that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Oh my God. See, we count up people's stuff. We can't let go of our version of what has taken place. We get prideful and just ain't gonna deal with it no more. But yet we tell everybody that we have the love of God. We can only do what we need to do in our measure. And once we take that step, we're done. And that's hard. Especially when you have children. Especially when you're living in a household with folks. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Oh my God. We are healers, all of us in some aspect. So these super healers, folks talking, walking around, talking about their this and that, everybody walks in a capacity to heal. There are different kinds of healings, different types. Your exhortation, your ministry of exhortation and hospitality is healing. 
because there are a lot of people who not had folks care for them. Right? It's not just the people who are experts at devils, which is strange. But I, I just I just want us to kind of reframe this because you asked that we teach about healing. If that is going to happen, it has to begin with understanding that all healing is reconciliation. Oh my goodness, I just feel like one more scripture. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, Revelation 22, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not be need for the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord will give them the light and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires the prophets Send his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Oh my God. Let's go down. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the alpha and the omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Oh my God, it's reconciliation. It's all reconciliation. We can break it down. We can tear it up. We can put it in a thousand categories, but it doesn't change what it is. Healing for us is reconciling all of those broken places. Whatever those broken places may be, those of you who have rainbow babies, those of you who have had abortions, those of you, God is not holding those things against you. Those of you who have maybe lived alternative lifestyles, those of you who have loved ones that are there, God is not angry with you. He loves you. And he loves the people that are unsaved. His message is to get from among them. That doesn't mean he hates them. It means that if you hang out with them, they could pull you out of his presence and you could perish right alongside them. Oh my God. Father, we just thank you for the word on tonight. I thank you for the patience of those, Lord, who have stood this hour and 15-minute Bible study. I pray, Lord, that we have greater understanding from a conservatory perspective of what healing looks like 
and that we're able, Lord, even tonight as they dream, as they rest, as they get home and wind down from work, as they sip their tea, whatever it is that they're doing, Father, we just believe tonight that understanding will begin to come. We thank you, Father, that they will hang out in the word, that they will begin to understand why you say, God, your name, when people ask what your name is, and the Bible, it says, God is love. Father, we thank you when you say the greatest two commandments are loving you and loving one another. I pray that we have context for why it says the things that it says. I pray that we have context of why rebuke is really love. The word says that you correct those, those that you love. It doesn't mean you hate them and you send them off to darkness and all of these things. It means that you give us the freedom to choose. And when we don't choose, we are by default placed in the other side where we will perish, where we will have no audience, no presence with you. Lord, when you were speaking in that passage, those passages we shared, you were speaking to the church. And that includes all of us even now. And we thank you for Jesus because the gift of that today is that we have a perfect way. We do not need priests to go before us anymore. Every man gives account of his own journey. But Lord, we're free tonight. Those whose marriages are torn up and they fighting every night. Lord, we just speak peace over them. Calm to their storm. Let them know that trouble does not last always. Lord, there are many here who need healing in their bodies. Healing in their minds. And Father, I know that you are a healer. We expect miracles. We expect signs. We expect wonders because that's our portion. It's no if your will, it is your will that we be made whole. And we trust that. There is nothing going on in anybody's life here that is unforgivable, no matter how horrible it is. They don't have to keep resurrecting that and resurrecting it, thinking that there's another thing to do. They're right now, they're in a new place. Father, show them how to believe that they've already repented from whatever it was. This Lord, allow them to walk forward from it. Disconnect them from those environments in the name of Jesus that constantly remind them of the very things that they know that they have been set free from. I pray for their freedom. Lord, we ask that according to your word that you remove every stumbling block in Jesus' name. There's always a way of escape for those who are yours. That's a guarantee. That's a promise. Let us recognize it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you all for listening on tonight. I know I shared a lot. Um, 